and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we try to do to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Why don't you just shut up and go be yourself? Why don't you just leave me alone? Why don't you just shut up and go fuck yourself? Why don't you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> yes. Getting right to the point here, aren't we? It is, is a DM real rock and roll DM singing. Yeah, this is, is a, a, this real, is a deep That is a real song by a real band that you will never have heard of called Sharky's Machine because we used to play with them. They were friends of ours back in the day when we were playing the Jersey Shore. So you can find them on Spotify though, and that song rules. It's called if you want to hear it. What's what's the song called? That song rules. Rules. Yeah. R U L E S. Rules. Rules. Yeah. Good old East Coast underground rock and roll. That's it. That's it. Just telling people to go F themselves, you know, and shut the F up. <laughs> it's very, that's very Jersey, to be honest. That's <laughs> there like, it is. I mean, there you go. I, mean, I feel like they've really captured the yeah. essence of New Jersey in that song. <laughs> what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> yeah. That's like our what's your problem feel. That's why I always was like, I don't know if people are hearing this correctly. Yeah, that, that one's much for like six months. Yeah. <laughs> that is also a great segue into tonight's topic, which comes to us from a reader. And that topic is, how do you get the face to shut the fuck up? Hey, fellas, I always run into the problem of having the larger personalities at my table and getting them to take a step back and let other players assert themselves without shutting them down and handing a talking stick to the other player and putting them on the spot. I haven't been able to find a friendly or subtle way to allow the more subdued players that do want to speak up to feel like they can instead of being talked over or disregarded. Um, so this, he goes on to say that he does check in with players and does quarterly reviews. Uh, so he knows how things are going. And, but and anyway, like I was saying though, like I really wanted to say something right now. So like I was kind of like that, you mean? Yeah. Something like ah, that. See you what mean, I did? That was, the, cut in? That was in real time. That, that was, felt real natural. <laughs> now, before we lose this though, so we do have a name this time. And this question comes to us from a listener named Mendalchi via our What's Your Problem field on the website, which we were just talking about. And if you would like us to answer your question, going to threewisedms.com, putting it in the What's Your Problem field is a great way to get us to pay attention to it. Or you can send it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com or just go talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're active on all those channels, always looking for new topics there. So today, guys, Mendalchi's question. You know, how do you get the face to shut the fuck up? I mean, we never have that problem, right? There's never, ever no. a player at our table who just sucks anyway, like the air I was out of the saying, room. So, like I was saying, I mean, get the really important stuff. No, <laughs> no we, we, there's nobody in our group that could talk the paint off a wall. Absolutely not. There's none of those people. Of Irish, you know, we just call it the gift of Blarney. Well, yeah, the gift of Irish Glag. descent. Irish Gab, descent. The Gab. Yeah, it's funny. Like, we're on a roll here right now, aren't we? Like, the last several episodes have, like, really hit home to things that, like, we literally deal with in every single one of our games in some fashion. Absolutely. Right? I mean, in fact, Woodstock Wanderers, we just had a conversation. Uh, we were, we were mentioning had a conversation with some of the with one of the players who was unhappy. And one of the things going on there is that that player doesn't feel feels like they have a hard time getting a word in edgewise and they need to be more. I mean, they, they feel like they need to be more assertive to get their to, to get some of their words in. But the other problem is, you know, we do have some strong personalities at the table. And, and it is sometimes hard with seven people at the table to make sure everyone gets a chance to talk, especially with some players like we do have other players who aren't talking much and don't really want to. Mm. So like kind of finding that balance of, you know, letting the letting the people who are kind of driving the role play do their thing, getting people who want to talk, 
but aren't able to get a word in edgewise, making room for them and making sure they have the opportunity to. And then also letting the wallflowers be wallflowers, because that's fine, too. You know, this is a balancing act happens there. And I even argue the other games, even bigger personalities in them. Mm. Well, one of the uh, dynamics of that, not even specifically to Woodstock, but any game that I'm in or any roundtable, some individuals are waiting for an opportunity for someone to stop speaking before they begin speaking. And at times that literally does not happen. I have heard people go on for six minutes and I don't think they're breathing. They're drawing in oxygen from other sources from their lungs. It's quite a feat. Honestly, and if you can't talk while inhaling, you're just a rookie. I I mean, really, you you got to bring those numbers up because those are truly rookie numbers. Only talking for six minutes without taking a breath. That may be a issue that one of these players in question is suffering from. Tony, uh, which is worse here, though, because we have we have both of these types of things, right? The player that will will talk and talk and talk. It just keeps talking or. Like you said, you're waiting for the person to have that break, that natural break, and then you can say, yes, and, right? And then you can kind of join in on it. But you have some players who they will pull the William Shatner on you, and they'll start talking. Um, And then they'll start having these breaks in there and you're like you're oh, you're about yeah. to jump in and they're continuing their point and you're like bro you just gave me like a four second gap you can't like break that like <laughs> and we're on the edge of our seats waiting to start up um yeah now the william shatner is a little rough like i am going to finish creating this wand this game all right well that's an and i i will find the crystals from the northern mountains Oh, okay, oh, cool. I want to go to the mountains too. And also, yeah, <laughs> I don't know which is worse, or it's just kind of two two sides of the same coin, right? And then what happens is this: these players are waiting for this gap, and it never also occurs because other players who are getting a little impatient start literally talking as the other person's finishing. So as they're finishing their like last three words, somebody else is already picking up running. And this person's like, where the hell was the gap? <laughs> there was no transition. I can slide nothing in. Somebody else is already uh, is like, I've been sitting here for four minutes. And they, they're like, it's my turn. And then your point's lost in space and time. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about that is there's times like there's times on this show we're recorded. I go back. I do all I do the editing. So I so I listen to it again. And there's times on this show when I realize I was going on too much because I can hear how boring it gets at the end of what I'm saying. Like, that's kind of something I wish all players would kind of pay attention to as well. When you're rolling, when you're doing the role play, when you're talking about what you want to do, when you're arguing with the DM, there's a point where you've made your point. Stop. Like, (laughs) don't repeat your point. Stop. And that's something I, I, I know that I see when I'm, especially if I'm a little more tired, I do it here. And it gets and it, it turns into rambling. You know, you don't ramble. Just stop before you ramble and cut the cut the rest of that. And everyone can get to play that. You know, and I kind of I need to do a better job of it. And I know it's easy to get out of hand, but it's something I think every player who does do some dominant role play needs to think about. Okay, have I made my point? Can I shut up now? Can mm. I shut myself the fuck up? That's the real question. I found it's 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 several of those actually because you also have the point. Have you noticed as well where Tony, you were just saying it's they're starting to jump in. You haven't even really fully completed your thought and they're already jumping in on the thing. And I've found just from the dynamics of a lot of the tables, because this happens in several different games and different groups that 
it's almost like they want to make sure they can get their point in before anyone else jumps in. You know, it's it's similar to on a different way when the person, the DM will say, what do you guys want to do? And no one speaks for a hot second because, well, I don't want to be the first one to just jump in and dominate this whole thing. But then I'm going to absolutely dominate once someone else starts talking, because then the floodgates is open. Oh, now I can kick it the door the rest of the way open and, I, and I'm gold. Right. So in like my that, rambling, mm, <laughs> I have a. Uh... Have it's been 11 it. minutes. We've all talked three times. No one's <laughs> rambled yet. That's good. We're, we're keep, we'll keep that stretch going. In one of my upcoming uh, articles, I know Dave's on tap next, I have to kind of throw out there. If a player is double and triple dipping on what they can accomplish in their slot, like during a role play, mm. my, my question here is, I don't know if you guys have actually read my article yet, but if a PC is, I don't know, 30 sentences, 14 sentences in it with an NPC before anybody else can act. They need to have super speed and or be talking to the micro machine actor from the 80s. That's the only way that makes sense. That is a hard thing. Absolutely, Tone, because it's it's just part of the natural flow of conversation, right? You're talking to an you're talking to the king, right? You have a court with the king. You're talking with the king. So you start going back and forth and you're trying to either get clues or get them to uh, come to your side. So you keep trying to make your point. Meanwhile, like you said, it's four minutes in, you've done back and forth 19 times with this person. And that's cool because you're getting role play in, but meanwhile, everyone else is watching that. So what have we done in that situation? Because we still have it happen. Uh, It was even happening in the last game that we had a little bit. So it's as best as we can still run it, it still happens. Yeah, I just want to go back to one of the things you said a minute ago, Dave, where you find once one player starts dominating large stretches of your conversation, other players who are a little more a little more assertive mm-hmm. will start then jumping in because they begin to sense the way this conversation flows is whoever jumps in gets to talk. Great. Okay, they go. Mm. But then your players who want to get involved but aren't as assertive now get really butted out. Because now you've got three players who all get what's going on and they're comfortable with that kind of conversation. And the other all maybe they're maybe they're all New Jerseyans. They're going to jump in and say what they got to say anyway. Hey, hey, it's coming out. You're going to hear me whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know, they're all jumping in and they're all passing the stick back and forth with the NPC. And then as a DM, you've got to catch that there's a fourth or fifth player out there who isn't. Yeah. Because they're not comfortable with that kind of role playing going on. They're, they they want a chance to speak. They don't want to have to get in there and basically get in the mosh pit that your role playing session has become. You've made the point before, too, Thorne, in that a lot of people, it's not role play in the terms of speaking role play that they like, but they like action oriented role play. They want to do something. So that's where they feel a little reticent when everything is so based off how waxing poetic can I make this? as my, you know, the face character, let's say, even though it's not just the faces like the bards and stuff, it's the face of the the table, the players themselves. There's always someone who can easily speak. I mean, all three of us could easily do that at any table because it's what we do, right? We don't shut the fuck up half the time, right? <laughs> but, well, it's, um, yeah. but yeah, that's easy for that person. But for the person who wants action-oriented role play, that's where they then get completely pushed off to the side. They don't want to necessarily have the talking stick. They want to have the, I want to do something stick. It can happen in action oriented role play too. Really where Because like, I know like um, a lot of my characters, 
don't just know what they want to say. They'll jump in and talk, but they also they know what they want to do. Mm. Like, I want to take this action. So it kind of becomes the same thing. You're the first one who jumps in and tells the DM what you want to do. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's okay. You you take a snapshot. Sure, I'll let you have it. Other times you wind up almost deciding for the group what's going to happen because you already had a plan. And yeah. then the, the other action runner role players can't get involved. You know, mm. they don't get to they don't get to say, well, I wanted to do this. You don't get to have that democratic conversation. Which, Tony, I want you to take I'll take this up, but I just wanted to bounce that back real quick, real quick. Sorry. In a good way, though, because that's kind of what's awesome about role playing, though, too, is where someone does something that really creates a shitstorm for the party. And those are some of the best stories that we get out of it. But at the same point, if not everyone is on board, you're like. Okay, this is what we're doing now because this person got off at the starter pistol first. This is actually a very interesting problem because previously we were dealing a lot with a lot of, well, what goes on in our games? Well, lots of combat. You know, we move around, the DM push, like we're exploring, DM pushes some monsters on the table, we grind them to dust without a second thought, they're dead, we take their stuff, we pick the pockets of the dead people. We move on. More monsters come out later more, at a more challenging level. We also grind them to dust. We move on. And now we're kind of evolving where there's – we realize, especially in 5e, we can cover so much more ground being involved in the story, role-playing, interacting with the environment. And now there's also some type of imbalance there where especially a charisma character, they're best suited to do a lot of talking. And you put the person who's good at talking in that role – it becomes kind of dangerous because then if you're not carefully monitoring how when you're asking for checks, you can easily alienate alienate the fighter or the barbarian who can't speak for crap because they didn't go to linguistics college when it's time to try to persuade, intimidate or deceive the person you're talking to. You've just created the perfect storm, which sounds awesome until it destroys the town. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, the charisma character butted up right with the player that has no problem talking. A perfect example was Roderick. Right? I don't think like Roderick no, really dominated that well, way. No, but I'm saying it easily could have gone that way. You know, now everyone in the group generally fell into kind of our jobs or roles within that yeah. party. And I tried to be as aware as I could at times to not just completely dominate. But, I mean, even within that group, it would even be talking, not even in character, but just random conversations at the table that would then tangent into other things, right? Where it's not even the person is being the face in character, but they're just being the face about like, oh, that reminds me of this show, right? And then that goes off into some tangent, and you're like, I, wait, I, we were just talking to the king. What's happening here, you know? <laughs> By the same time, at least in that game, like, I remember the barbarian had a very good backstory and had some yeah. very poignant moments and had plenty of talking points themselves. The, um, the, the celestial warlock also had some very good talking points, you know, so many so that we got to hear several different accents that yes. were randomly decided by die rolls that session. Right. <laughs> we also got to have role-playing conversations about how we're going to handle this with, you know, basically three of the five party members, the PC party members, being more, being a little more uh, scoundrelly, 
Scoundrelly. Scoundrel. Yes. Scoundrels. Yeah. yeah. Not little, evil. Little, not little, criminals. They're scoundrels. Yeah. yeah. A, little, a little more, uh, you know, a little more renegade and two of them being a little more paragon. And we got to have a lot of party interaction over that where everyone got to talk, I think, yeah. you know, so I don't feel like anyone necessarily dominated there. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Tony? You ran that game. Did you feel like that kind of ran pretty well? I think that early on, because we were on Skype, I ran into some trouble because, you know, you have people with windows and you're like, OK, there's a lot of talking. Everybody's involved. And you kind of look over and you're like, OK, you know what? Just dawned on me. Somebody hasn't said anything in like eight minutes. Uh, OK. Uh, and as much as I don't want to put everybody in the initiative tracker, if it gets really carried away or it's a really pressing critical scene where action can break out, then maybe that is necessary. So uh, David mentioned this game we just had. Uh, were you talking about the Marvel game or the Woodstock Wanderers game? Oh, the Marvel one. <laughs> the Marvel one. I was thinking of the Woodstock one. Oh, yeah? Uh, okay, let's well, go over both be... then. Let's go over both. Yeah, because let's talk about So in the, last, in the latest episode of the Woodstock Wanderers, we were it was a less combat-focused episode. They went to a new city, well, a city that Tony's character had originally come from and had originally gamed in. So there was a lot of talking and a lot of Erasmus, Tony's, Tony's wizard, coming in, saying hello to old friends, introducing the group to old friends, having conversations. And I was trying hard to balance that because Tony's character, he, he had played with like like his father was a lord. Tony is an unrecognized. There's like kind of a noble without a specific title. So the king knows him. You know, the king knows him. He used to work for the Grand Wizard. He still does work for the for, for the Grand Archmage in the court. So that guy knows Tony's character. So Tony's got a lot of ins. And trying to use that to get everyone a chance to talk was a little tricky, but I tried to do it very actively. So, for instance, we got in with the king. I would let Tony, you know, I would let Erasmus kind of, because it's kind of an Erasmus moment with the shine, because we're back in his hometown and everyone knows him. Yeah. But Erasmus, Tony was really good with, okay, and these are my friends. And then I would try to have some of the NPCs, like the king especially, go through and question each of those people individually. Just ask little things about them that the king's noticing. Trying to play the that, oh yeah, he's big and gregarious and the king, but you're also he's also noticing little things about you that he's asking questions about. Yeah, these trying to play strangers in his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, and try, trying to be welcoming, yet find out what you're all about. Yeah. You know, and I tried to balance it that way because by going, okay, by not having a, a, a turn tracker, but by having the NPC with authority command the conversation, I tried to keep it moving pretty quickly. Maybe not super quickly, but I tried to make sure everyone got a chance to talk. I mean, do you guys feel like that worked pretty well? Yeah. No, I actually like that very much. Uh, I thought it was very well rounded. I thought that was a really good session overall. But for me, the way I kind of play that character is similar to when we went to Sir Morton's um, militant order of Bahamut, right? His paladin yeah. orders. I was like, hey, Sir Morton, you need to kind of like get us in here because this is your turf, right? So I kind of kept pushing. So anytime I would say anything, I would try to be pushing Tom's character to 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 speak more, to get us involved here. Uh, similarly with with Erasmus, Tony's character, I kept going back and saying, Erasmus, what about this? Erasmus, what about this? So for me, I that's I'm looking for that when, you know, you're back in his kingdom. The spotlight is shining on that character now, so you can allow that. You know, <laughs> but you still, you absolutely were trying to throw out certain little things to bring people in to at least have uh, some part in the conversation. Yeah, I think that it's a really good dynamic. And I also put this in one of the upcoming articles. Ideally, I want to involve as many characters in each individual scene as I can. 
And the way you did it was really good. Everybody had their own opportunity to talk and you went round table versus everybody splits the hell up. And now you're going round table. But now I'm not supposed to know what's happening. So Mm. I'm watching this really interesting scene unfold that I know nothing about. Like I can't even, I really, I'm better off like going to get coffee. Otherwise now I'm like in danger of meta gaming. I know what beam was doing on top of the tower that I was not there for or watching him in any way. (laughs) I did that too. So I did the conversational sessions, but then also later on in the, in the adventure, everyone kind of had a chance to go do whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, so Tony, you you weren't as comfortable with that essentially. I am a big, I am very strongly against splitting the team up, having them each have their individual moments off camera. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon, honestly. Mm -hmm. Then we all reconverge and tell our stories. But the problem there is you've got all these people watching these events unfold. They're not part of, they have no idea what's happening. And you're just biting your nails as the DM saying, don't metagame, don't metagame. Like, because I, I've definitely had players who could not handle that. The, like the rogue goes off, slips the coin purse they stole. They're, they're out to murder them now. With, for no new reason, all of a sudden, their name is Mud. They just put it together with no rules now. So, for instance, because personally, I actually, I really like those kind of vignettes. because for, balance. Yeah. There's for, a balance involved here. For me, it's partly because I like being the audience of the story as well as being an active participant in it, right? So I enjoy seeing, because those are the times when you have that character development, right? But I think what Tony's talking about is less about Beam going up to the top, to his sanctuary on the top of the keep of Donoestra and communing with his god Dawa about, you know, his place in the world and and the upcoming battles and stuff. Like, that's just character stuff, right? Not fluff, but almost. As opposed to Ojin, our sorcerer warlock, who decided awesomely, I was like, wait, what's happening who decided to become the Punisher in this small town and just start using Gananakwa's tentacles to, like, take care of anyone who's, you know, being a ruffian in I've town. I've seen nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, we you don't do know see- that that's going on, right? But that's the tricky part. Yeah. That's the tricky part, because that is something Ojin wanted to do. I knew she wanted an opportunity to do that. And I gave you guys all carte blanche, could do what you want to do, and she wanted to wander off on her own. And I knew why she was going to do it. And she really couldn't have done it if she didn't. Yeah. So, like, part of her character is that she can get these powers from God and Athwa for sacrificing people. And she was running a little low. She only had one, quote-unquote, active sacrifice, so her powers are going to run out in a couple of days. So she went out to go try to find some people who deserved She's it becoming Dexter. to up. She's Dexter now. <laughs> it's short, well, not exactly Dexter, I mean, but something like that. Yeah, yeah it's it's because yeah. it's, it's not... She's not driven to do it that way. She's driven to do it for the powers. And that's kind of part of her story. But it is a part of the story that kind of has to happen yeah, in a Dexter kind of way, because it has to happen away from the rest of the party. Sure, sure. At the same time, you know, you can't have Beam couldn't have his one on one with his God with the rest of the party there. You know, that has to happen in a vision quest, you know. Um, so those things were and I get why that I tried to keep. Here's what I tried to do. Because I do understand why Tony's doesn't recommend that, because you do now have a table full of people who don't know what happened. And there was one player who wasn't there who very well may have taken a very negative reaction to that. May have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, that would have been maybe a metagame reaction. That they could have gone wrong, but I need to give 
I mean, so 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 we'd had last episode. Ojin didn't get to do a lot. She spent a lot of time basically making death saves. So <laughs> I wanted to make sure that she got. So so we're trying to kind of fix that. We're trying to make sure that like yeah. she is doing. Was she a her first thing. edition wizard? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's harder. It's harder to do that. Yeah. It's a lot easier to have a person not do death saves when you're in like a town adventure. You know. <laughs> True. But I mean, she's got things she wants to accomplish too, right? She's got she's got things she's exploring in her own character and in her own story, and I need to make sure that we can do that. And I do need, to, and that is a solo thing a little bit, you know. So I'm trying to balance that, and what I'm trying, the way I'm trying to balance that is to do it quickly, like that beam story and Ojin story. And actually, Tony, at the time, you were actually doing a thing with the Archmage to find the kind of the next thing going on. So, so, oh, so Erasmus was off doing something else. And then the other characters were, I believe shopping at the time were just kind of chilling out, but everyone had a chance to do something. One player decided to throw a huge feast for all the people in their keep. Well, it wasn't, that wasn't in this moment, but a little earlier, everyone got to do a thing that expressed their character in this game, which I thought worked well. The trick. No, of it and was, you gave a, you gave a section for each of us to have, a couple minutes where we said, okay, what are we doing? Boom. And then you said, cool. Okay, we'll come back. Now, Beam, what are you doing? Now, Ojin, what are you doing? Now, so it gave everyone the chance to, you know, they didn't have to shut the fuck up because everyone was going to get a shot, right? Well, it's a trick to get them to shut up, right? Because, yeah, because everyone gets a solo moment. But that is kind of, Tony's right. There's a risk here in that, you know, you can have players who don't, who don't handle the metagame aspect of it well. You can have players who just get bored and want to do their own thing and want to cut in. But that's not what I'm letting happen. So basically... And this, this is this does all wrap up into the topic, because how do you how do you make sure everyone gets a chance to role play? I use two different tricks here. One in the conversation with the king, I used the NPC's authority to call to basically ask questions of each player. So everyone got a chance to talk. Everyone got a chance to be in the conversation. The more active role players couldn't dominate that conversation. Also, later in the game, I gave everyone a chance to go do whatever you want to do. And then I, so I would have everyone say what they wanted to go do and then go back down the line and then work with them on what happened when they went to do that. Trying, understanding that if that goes on too long, it's going to, could make the game boring for other players. So trying to make it quick, you want to try to keep it to like 10 minutes per player. Ojin did have a combat scene, but we didn't roll up. It was, there was no maps involved. There was only like one role involved. Like it wasn't, it was a very streamlined combat scene. Just get it done, make it happen. She gets her well, sacrifices, go ahead. She has a level 13 sorcerer warlock that just took on, I don't know, a classless ruffian. <laughs> You're saying that my thugs are classless. CR1? I mean, CR1 maybe? I don't know. Um, that's, that's a good point, Thorne. I, I think I used a similar um, tactic during the dinner with Strahd to try to bring everyone in where I had a whole thing because Strahd was attempting to tempt you guys into, well, one, either leaving Barovia or kind of coming under his control in some fashion so i use this whole tempting thing slash intimidate like if you guys didn't go for it he would turn on the screws but i had something for each player as we went around and i think that fostered a level of i mean phineas is still going to be the person who will lead the charge with that but everyone else i felt was was peppering in questions or they at least had a point where he was directly interacting with them specifically similar to like you did with the king so with a lot of our style of games, we've got vast blocks of time between game one and game two. So if there's things you want to do at the campsite, you want to pray, you want to try that personal moment, let me know. I will shoot you an email. I will shoot you a text. That is no problem. Some of those things should happen in game. 
I feel there's a balance of that. And but I also like the mysteriousness of yes, this happened, and really truly nobody else knows. There is something that they can unveil, and this kind of ties into where if you have a character who's a face and they're just rolling, well, maybe you've revealed some information about this situation to a character that's very valuable that they do not have. And that's why they kind of have to, you know, seed the uh, the talking stick over there. Yeah, Tony, that's a great uh, that's a great idea. It's something that I I actually I feel like I picked it up um, from seeing how uh, Mercer runs some of his games um, in that in the early parts like I'll take the Strahd adventure, right? The early parts of it, there was a lot of stuff that was happening directly to each of you, where I would be texting you individually very specific things or emailing you or whatever, and only you would know. Like, for instance, Phineas, Strahd was beginning to communicate to you, sending to you, trying to kind of be like, hey, you know, you can be your own patron. You can come with me, blah, blah, blah. In the beginning, no one else knew about this for the whole game, right? In later levels, same thing with Chris's character Scar and Argonvost Holt and the Knights and his visions with his god Torag and all of this. All of that was happening between he and I uh, for the beginning parts of the game. Later on at higher levels, I find that's where you can start to open those up and bring everyone else in because you've given the chance for it to be a mystery. And then you can still, you know, have that information be out there for the group in a way. Uh, but in the beginning, I think there is something, like you're saying, there is something very kind of special that you have this, oh, this truly is a secret. And if I want to keep it a secret, I can, you know, that power for the for the character. There are two reasons why I tend to handle things in the game more than out of the game that way. And I don't always do this because there are things I will handle out of the game by email. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. we had um, one of our players got sucked up in the void from the deck of many things. And I that was an email. Here's what happens to you. Yeah, You know, that because yeah. no one else knows where that person is. So that was an email. But the two reasons I try to avoid doing that are this. One, I don't have the time outside of the game to do it. <laughs> I generally don't. You know, and that's I got to I have to compartmentalize. And while I would love to spend eight hours out of my week doing game related stuff with all the players, I can't do it. I also find and I guess that's I guess I have three reasons because I also find sometimes that could turn into one player having a lot of extra game communication and getting yeah becoming kind of the basically becoming more and more the focus of the game yeah yeah because the players who not all the players can interact that way either and now the player who can interact that way suddenly starts getting a lot more you know a lot a lot more story focus so those are two things I worry about and the third thing is players don't always come back and relay what they should relay from those things. Now, I understand you're, you're giving them the option to keep it a secret, but like Tony said about, like Tony said about Phineas's character many times, I have no idea who Phineas is. Like, what's his backstory? I don't know. It's all lost. It's just a man of mystery to me. We had, uh, we had a character come into Woodstock Wanderers, Thea, with a lot of backstory oh. <laughs> about what was going on. A lot of email relayed backstory about what was going on in the game that, yeah, I'm like, great. You can dole this out when you're ready to. And, I still, you know, I still don't think we have most of it. I still don't think we. I, I think most of it has still come from you saying, "Oh yeah, you know this." Well, yeah, she, she's like our Batman. I don't have to say. I, well, but that's the thing is, these all happen. Like yeah. the, all of these things happen. So I tend not to rely. Bec- one because I don't have the time to do it outside of the game, and two because I've seen it not work out <laughs> like I wanted it to. Mm. So I tend to just handle it in the game. 
I rely on everyone else to keep in mind that this isn't necessarily something you know. And even in Tony's game, we had situations where like the palette or the barbarian had a big character moment with a big plot dump that the barbarian never turned around and related to us. So the rest of us didn't pay attention to because that was their story. Like they had it in a dream and Tony's telling them about it in the game table and we're not paying attention. So you well, can still this, get a certain amount of privacy once you say, this is your private story because people tune out. Thorne, with that specifically, I will say, and I think I get caught this when I'm running the game as well, but I think the same thing that happened in Storm Kings, what you're talking about is that it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention because my character wouldn't know that. Like I'm still actively listening to what is happening, right? Ooh, we're having a dream sequence. This is awesome, right? Now, if it's Roderick's dream sequence or Mina, I'm generally writing some notes down, right? But, like, for instance, in, like, the Marvel game when Chris will go over, like, oh, you were go you were doing this for the last 30 years. I'm not writing all your guys' stuff down, right? I'm writing my stuff down. Yeah. So Dave is listening to what is happening for Jacob. Dave does not know what a lot of these plot dumps mean. Like, I don't understand the significance of what I'm hearing because I don't it's like I don't have the Rosetta Stone to be able to understand the translation of what that is. You know what I mean? Like for Roderick, you guys knew he was sick. So when Tony was starting to throw out things about curse breaking and this kind of stuff, you could probably put two and two together to some point. Well, he seems to be a half elf. He seems to be sick. They're talking about this curse. Okay, I think. But with the Jacob thing, I don't know if we knew some of the things of the backstory to relay that information, you know, so it didn't, it miscommunication almost, you know, it was like, Oh, you remember being on the beach with the giant queen and her son. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know what any of this stuff means. Right. Right. But even with, uh, with Roderick's curse, like we still don't know what that was about. Neither does he. Neither does he. (laughs) Yeah. It's very, it's the deepest mystery of all time. To tell you the truth, I actually don't know fully what the curse is, other than I sent stuff to Tone, how he wanted to interpret that in his game and piece that back out, left it somewhat of a mystery to me. And I wanted that, to tell you the truth. Hmm. I I wanted that as a player. So so in all, I actually don't know fully. (laughs) (laughs) I have a better understanding now with some of the history, but, you know, I like that it was somewhat of a mystery for me. Maybe that's my hook to bring you back into playing that character outside of that campaign. (laughs) There is a distinct difference between letting a player develop and work through some of their their in-game quests, problems, questions, rather than you have a question and like, you know, all of a sudden I'm a player, I'm asking the DM and and I'm saying instead you're a character, you're at a campfire with your with your team, you have questions. Is there somebody there you can ask? Well, go right ahead. You ask that off camera. I think that's fine. On the other hand, it's not, I think I'm much more open to that versus like, hey, someone's sneaking off and doing a side mod. Like, oh, second watch, let me just go out and I'm going to go see what's over this hill. I'm going to go find a crypt and go clear it out when no one's looking and everybody's sleeping. <laughs> we used to do shit like that. Yeah. I mean, I know it's shocking. <laughs> like, oh, we've, had, game- we've done that in the Woodstock Wanderers. It's led to some interesting encounters. Yeah, usually there's something they come running back from. Covered in, co- covered in, you know, flesh-eating slime or something. Yeah, either that or we have to somehow, uh, Thorne has to alert us in some weird DM fiat way that uh, Ojin is stuck in a gelatinous cube, you know? Well, she got out on her own and she came running back to you <laughs> covered in gelatinous cube. Uh, I think she, that plot line's going to end perfectly fine. Nothing <laughs> bad's going to happen out of this. How she's turned into Ghost Rider? <laughs> yeah. She's both Ghost Rider and Punisher while... 
Thea is actually Batman. Yes, we got we got a whole real Justice League vibe going on here. And we weren't uh, even trying to do that this time. It just happened on its own. It just happened. This is just what happens. That's what heroes do. It's a dark campaign. It gets Justice League dark. <laughs> but if you have like if you start doing lore drops and tip drops with players, even in game and everybody's not there, as you guys just articulated, what are you supposed to do? This is put back to you. And then at some point when they're like, hey, I'm confused about this, you can go back and remind them. Mm-hmm. But you're you're kind of at an impasse there. Sometimes, I hate to say this, you throw the plot hook out and you don't get the fish back. Like, yeah, you got to throw the line out again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Reese has some adventure they want to have. What do you guys want to do? Well, uh-huh. they, that, I think that's great, but with too much agency, especially at a super low level, you're like, hey, I have a whole world you could explore. Would you like to see what's up in the mountains, the swamp? And they're like, uh, I go look at the message board and see if there's someone who needs a cellar and the rat's killed, you know. I want to go rob a house. Okay, then. Here, pick your house. Yeah, see, I mean, okay, that that's live. With the Marvel game, if we're going to talk about that, I mean, I don't know... The, the topic is like how people uh, ha- had a chance to interact and what have you. What I found super interesting, a little off topic about that game was for all our talk about different problem solutions. This is hilarious. Like this hit me the next morning. We approached that game so incredibly wrong. Yeah. We really screwed the pooch on this three wise DMs. The thing was we should have been looking for intelligent ways to solve problems. And what are we doing? Well, I am going to find a way to punch this monster harder. And you're like, I'm building a gun that's bigger. Hang on, the gun's getting bigger. And so, like, yeah, Tone. And we need tone context. Truth. Before we go so, too deep on this, we need so, context. <laughs> yeah, so we had we came into this game. We are now back in the, the actual, like, published adventure material from the old Marvel game, right? We're playing through the, the, the trio of cosmic adventures. So we get drawn by the Watcher to Asgard because Ragnarok is supposed to be happening. And of course, who would they call but us? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I get it. Cool. I mean, we're very powerful. Though. So we get pulled to Asgard and uh, we find out that Ragnarok is supposed to be happening and the Olympians, for some reason, are invading. Now, as we get there on the Rainbow Bridge, the Bifrost, we get Cerebus appears which Tony's character was like, wait, wait, why are you here? You're supposed to be in Olympus. And then a chimera comes. We very quickly find out that I think what we were looking at was like what Thorne will often call a boundary encounter. Um, we found we things that we, I don't know, but what I'm saying is we were, finding things, yeah. no, no, but we were finding things that we were not just able to punch our way through immediately. Cool. I mean, we're dealing with gods at this point. So, all right. Now, we took care of it in some interesting ways that were very funny. Cool. But I felt like the message was sent like, ooh, we're in Asgard and Olympus. So we're the small fish again. Anyway, we get to the point where we get drawn into the Hall of Zeus. This is a whole story. Don't worry about it. That's not the important part. We're in the Hall of Zeus. And this other person has taken over for Zeus and is going to lead the invasion into Asgard and destroy them, Ragnarok, yay. And Thorin, you did exactly what Tony was talking about earlier, where you did like seven things all in a row, 
that really set it up for us to be like, oh, we're just going to try to punch our way out of the pantheon of gods and a thousand Olympians. And I literally just looked at my computer screen and I just like I wanted to just turn it off because <laughs> I was just like, there's no way we like either Chris is going to kill us here or he's going to have to make it like, oh, well, you somehow got through this. I don't know. But that was a point where it was like, I want to do this and this and this and this. And then at that point, the stage was set. <clears throat> I am going to push ramble. back on that a little bit. Go ahead. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> well, what is this, this, and this? Is this when I shot the stick and the crook out of his hand? Yeah, yeah. Here's what, here's what you're forgetting about that. At the point at which I shot the crook out of that guy's hand, he had already... So, again, we our, our listeners need context. Tony's character in this game presents as a taurine tornado he's like he's like he's like a uh, like a fighter scrappy kind of like millennial fighter but turns out he's actually a resurrected titan who pulled himself out of out of haiti out, out of out of hades out of, some, uh, some sort of demigod now. yeah out of, yeah so he's actually well no he's a titan he, he's a, so like for instance the things we found out along the way cerebus actually turns out to have been his like his offspring like as the titan like he like he's got some he's got some background here also, Gaia is his mother. Mm -hmm. Gaia, the, 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 the goddess, is his mother. So at the point at which this happened, the the villain who had beaten Zeus, Actus, it was Act, and now he bound with Tus and became Actus. And now we're just looking for a gal somewhere around there so we can turn him into Galactus at some point, maybe. I don't know. Seems, I mean, seems it, obvious. It's it's kind of, yeah, it kind it's of sells itself out for us, right? Um, yeah. But the point at which this happened, this guy had already said... I am going to, you know, basically take Tony's mom and make her a bride, a slave bride to one of to to to, to someone else or to me or something like that. He basically made a basically made a rape. He basically said, "I'm going to, you know, made like a rape statement about Tony's mom," and had already said, "Now get ready to fight because we're coming at you." So if you're saying I started that fight, you don't remember the order of events. Maybe. It's very possible. It's very Tony was already was already about to go try to pluck that guy's eyes out, and I said, "Okay, just real quick, I would like to try to shoot the crook out of his hand, assuming he's got the crook of Osiris. I'm hoping that's got some power. Well, I'm it was, assuming it has some power. It definitely gave the, the there was the sense that the crook was a level of ownership of rulership of of the throne of Zeus and all of that. Dude, yeah. he's got he's got two items. He got the throne of Zeus and the crook of Osiris. My gaming knowledge tells me those are magic. Uh, <laughs> Turns out that wasn't the case, but I shot. So I basically asked if I could make a snapshot and run up and grab it. When it, like if I could knock it out of his hand and run up and grab it, and I was able to pull that off. But like if that is being, if you're remembering that as like seven things that got us in this fight, I disagree. Because <laughs> I don't know what else we were supposed to do in that fight. And it would actually. Uh, you want me to tell you? Now let's get a third. Okay, third third. we blew an opportunity here, and I didn't think about this until, I don't know, 11 o'clock the next day. This, good, is, good. this is about when this hit me, because, you know, I'm like, here it is. Here's the moment, the big fight. And then, wait, he fused with his other self, and this being who had like a third of Galactus's power now had the power of two-thirds of Galactus, and the bet has been shit at that moment. There's no way we're taking this guy apart. So what should have happened here is if I could rewind time is when he's like, ah, oh, technocrat, you want to challenge me? Then let's go. We should have turned that around and you should have challenged into a battle of wits. 
in some way where you could have challenged his mind for the throne of Zeus. That would have been without such die tra- That would have been such a great tragedy, right? Like <laughs> I will trick my good. way out of the Cyclops cave. That would have been good. We didn't think of it. I we mean, yeah, I wish we thought of that. I didn't I'm think I'm sorry. Of it. it came at like 11, you know, 11 the next day. <laughs> Open this thought in the, the mail. Oh, I'm trying shit. to play a super intelligent character, and I'm not playing him intelligently enough. I did wind up, so because, yeah, because what happened was we basically wound up, because he, when he changed to Actus, there's this whole thing about the Greek gods made a pledge because he beat Zeus, so they have to follow him. But he turned into Actus, which means he's a new person. He already asked for new pledges from two people. So we basically, I was technocrats deal was, okay, try to get the crook out of his hand, try to break up his, his relics of rulership, yeah. and try to convince the other Olympians to turn on him. And then with us and the Olympians, maybe we get a chance. That hasn't worked out. I don't think it was a terrible plan. I mean, the DM decides that works or the DM doesn't. What are you going to do? You know, it's 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 plausible. You know, it's just a matter of how, of can you convince them to turn or not? And how can you convince them to turn? We wound up in a situation where Tony's Titan gets to fight this guy one-on-one to uh, basically take the throne I mean, of Olympus. That's oh, no, he gets to. That seems to be the He gets to do the fight. Whether he, he gets to win the fight is a different question. We'll see. I mean, who knows? Very, this very sketchy. I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, and honestly, I was not at my best that night. I was really tired, but I, I didn't feel like I pushed it that way. I feel like I was reacting to what happened. Like, I don't feel like I'm the reason we were in the fight. The initiative was already rolled. They were already attacking. I mean, I'm just trying to, from there, I'm just trying to scramble and react. I don't know what else we were supposed to do. And it, nothing came to me. I'm trying to be as creative as I can. I really am whenever I'm playing. Oh, no. And, and it, I didn't see any no, clues. So, like, I didn't see it, like, any other clues of what to it do. It felt, it felt like I wasn't, I wasn't able to grok on anything of like okay this is this is where we need to like head with this like i i was feeling yeah. very unsure like i was standing on sand and then shit just goes right because the first person that says okay this is what what i'm gonna do and you go well i guess this is now what we're doing and we are so fucking outclassed that it's what are you gonna do so I we'll mean, see we'll and see a lot of the things i tried to do just like they didn't work the way I expected them to, which is you know, the DM's decision. But it's like, okay, we get the crook of Osiris. Does that do anything now? I kind of feels like it should. I don't know. It's it felt like we, they felt like they were good moves if there was something there, and just kind of you did them, and there was no payoff for them. Well, they're not you know? bad. They weren't bad, but they just didn't work out that way. I, you I mean, know. they were bad because there was no, like, he's got the crook of Osiris and the throne of Zeus. These are so important. Okay, maybe we can get the crook, and someone jumps in the throne, and maybe we can kind of, no. Honestly, this is one of those situations where I feel like what needed to happen could be signaled better. Yeah, yeah, that, that happens sometimes. Well, actually, what's very interesting about this situation and how it pertains to the, tonight's episode is that— Shut the fuck up! <laughs> well, no, because now we're in a really high-energy, high-tension situation where we go to Olympus. We're expected to see Zeus there and see whatever he has to say. Zeus is replaced. This guy's a villain— He's, he's like, oh, you want to throw down? Let, like, he went from, like, kind of like, hey, I could bring you on board. We could talk about this. Then he fuses with his other alter ego and becomes violent. And he's like, all right, if, if my way or the highway, and the bed gets shit. And when everybody gets excited, there's all this high energy. Everybody has their own individual plan. That's when other players don't get a chance to do things because they kind of, the, the more quiet ones, it's very easy for them to get sidelined. But like I was saying earlier, too, that is I mean, it's not necessarily a bug in the system. That is the system in a way. Right. That is role play. It's like when people talk about like, oh, my God, my players spent four hours debating over a plan. Like 
that's not necessarily a bug. That's playing D&D, you know, so the act of a person acting of their own accord as their character would act is absolutely the game. It's similar, like right now, right? This, it's almost like when uh, Star-Lord decides to, he finds out Gamora has been killed and he's like, oh, fuck this plan, dude, right? I'm going to shoot this guy in the fucking face. That's what he decided, Okay, then the story proceeds from there, you know? So again, this isn't necessarily a bug unless it's something that is happening all the time for someone's table. If that one face character, let's say, is constantly, I'm doing this, I'm the first one at the treasure, I'm going to do, you know, those types of situations. This was a one-off, but it just happened to turn into a complete shit show. But did anyone not have a chance to talk? I feel like we spend a lot of time looking at each other like, what do we do? I don't know. You have anything to do? I don't have anything to do. Like, I don't, yeah, it's I don't hard. feel like it, anyone got cut it's off. Hard to re- it's hard to remember exactly in-game what exactly was happening. I just remember I was very confused as to exactly what is happening and where do where are we in this in this scenario, you know? But I don't remember him throwing down with us right off the bat like that. But no, it wasn't right talking. off the bat, but he pulled the trigger. Like my reaction was, you know, my reaction, Chris said, you know, roll initiative. And he said what he was going to do to Gaia. And he said, what you know, attack us. Mm. And then I said, can I get a snapshot off before initiative starts? And like every time I asked Chris, can I do this? I said, can I get a snapshot off? And then he drops, can I get to the crook? Can I get to the crook? Can yeah, I grab no, it? with your hyperspeed. You know, yeah. and I, and I wasn't like saying I do these three things. I was like, do I have time? DM, can I, GM, can I do this? I don't know. I just like, like, I don't, I, yeah. I didn't start that fight. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what the story is. I don't know what Christmas sees it as, but Technocrat did not start that fight. <laughs> Technocrat reacted. I was very pleasantly uh, pleased to see that, despite the fact that I, I, I actually read this module some years back, I had absolutely no idea what the hell was going on. Like this is like this has gone so far off of what I'd like. I'm finally remembering the story. Like, oh, it's like this, and then it's happening. I'm like, no, no, we are way off. At least my memory, whether that's off the rails. Well, yeah, like, I mean, that's that uh, that's probably a little more suspect than what's happening in the mod as he's going through it, though, right? But uh, no, I mean, it, it's all really about how we approach those problems, how we can draw the party into it, how we can sit this guy down and reason with the next game and be like, hey, we've met you, stupid. Well, what do you mean? Okay, Actus. Well, we met this Galactus guy and he almost got nuked by the Cosmic Cube and we stopped that. Does that ring any bells? Like, that should be our opening. Like, we should open with that. I Rather, feel like the opening is going to be you fighting this guy and first. I am going to and then we'll have to deal with as a pancake. We, we tried a lot of that stuff. We tried talking to him. We tried we tried mentally influencing him. We tried a lot of things. And we're very much in the world of none of that works. And we don't know what is going to work. And I think as players, I know I, I feel, I know like I was this way. No idea what to do. No. Well, I mean, okay. Chris did say something at the end that, you know, I had mentioned to Chris at the end that one of the problems in the system seems to be once you get a couple power levels above where the enemy is, you can't do anything or they can't do anything to you. And we've been on the rub side of that. And now we're on the downside of that. And he mentioned, well, you just got to get different damage types. Okay. So I got to find a way to kind of build Sonic into my weapons or something or something that can cut through some of these defenses. That, that makes sense. That's something I can do. But as far as his combat goes, I, no, I think I didn't we, uh, see any clues as to what else we could have done. 
I felt like we were actually getting a, a lot better hits off on that guy than we were on the uh, Cerebus and Chimera. That Those ones were like, oh, shit, okay. I mean, we're probably going to get this, but this is this is definitely not what we've experienced well, that was literally so far. <laughs> only, that was literally like only you, I think only you could do full damage. But okay, and that, that was where like, because I mean, Chris and Tony exchanged a quick word after the game about that, about the way the power levels work. And for those who don't know, Marvel's got basically a, uh, a series of levels that your powers act at. And if your invulnerability is at a higher level than the damage, they do nothing. They can't touch you at all. So that's what we started running into. We've mostly been on the positive side of that curve. Now we're on the back side of that. So, but we talked about it. Well, yeah, but not everything gets blocked. Like that's why your, your, your fist, your, your magic dark force fist can get through the invulnerabilities. Right. You right. know? So it's like, okay, I just got to mix that up. That's the solution. Okay. I can figure that out. Story-wise, just at this particular point, this particular plot. I, it was, we, I felt, no, I felt like we were all kind of a little lost as to, okay, we're not sure exactly our place in this thing. So we'll see where it goes from this, because yeah. this was just a foray into this first part of it. But yeah, it definitely, uh, we got so, our n noses rubbed in the dirt a little bit. A little so we lose a character or two, and uh, we roll up some new ones, and we come back <laughs> and we see what we can do. We're used to just trying to punch our way through this shit, and this yeah. is a problem. It's very it's, true. Yeah, we're like, you know, the guy runs up, I hit him twice, I don't even hit him the third time, the, the guy's down, that's it, fight's over. That's what we're used to. And the way I see this is, okay, so you can't damage them with your weapons. So what else? Maybe the solution isn't there. Maybe just straight combat is not the way to go in this situation, and that's the lesson. Well, it's like, I mean, it's a perfect it's a perfect analogy to the MCU where the way Doctor Strange defeats Dormammu is not fighting it out with him, right? He outwits him. Right. Uh, there you go. Right. It's, it, it is a classic Marvel kind of thing. But when you're used to a certain way, it's it's hard to just shift gears. <laughs> but the other thing is, I actually was very actively trying to find other ways to solve things. Like I'm turning invisible. I'm talking to people I'm trying to convince people. Like, no, absolutely. absolutely. So like I wasn't just trying to punch. Like, well, once I saw in that first fight, OK, your guns do nothing. I was approaching everything else is OK. So what else can I do? And I still found nothing. And that's just a matter of, you know, interaction. And it's just a matter of, you know, maybe we're not going about it with the right attitude or something, or, you know, maybe we missed some clues somewhere or something like that. Some hints didn't get to us or something. I, I just, I'm really kind of like, all right, I don't know where else this was going to go. Cause you know, we showed up here and uh, we brought him his second half, which turned out to be a huge mistake, but we had no way to know that was a huge mistake. <laughs> maybe well, it's like, not though. It could, I think it's actually the, the I mean, they we're way off topic, but I think it's actually the key to it. I mean, know? had we left Tusk where he was and told Act where he was, we might've had a chance with the Olympians to talk about some shit. Possible. Possible. You know, I mean, Possible. like I, I just, yeah. Anyway, anyway. We did everything. We We made every wrong decision. <laughs> Makes it was an interesting story though. Yeah, we made some we made some interesting decisions that have led to a story that uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But it definitely is a a big one. So there is one other thing. Getting way back yeah, to the yeah. conversation we were having about getting the face to shut the fuck up. And you know, I don't know. Maybe you you could you guys could you guys could have said, hey, I want I hear something I want to do. I feel like we all had a chance to to, to not do something in that encounter. <laughs> but in like one of the things I wanted to talk about with this is. We've talked about different ways you can use to give people a chance to interact instead of the face. 
you isolate, you kind of, you know, you can use your NPC they're talking to, to direct questions to the uh-huh. other people. Uh-huh. You can give them some little vignette type moments, give everyone something they're, they're doing and give them a chance, call on them specifically and ask them what, you know, how are they advancing that or what are they doing? That's usually a big part of how do you make sure everyone gets a chance to go is you call on them. We've talked about that before. Tony, and as Tony said, you can put your initiative counter out there and just count down everyone's turn and let them do something on their turn and just, just make sure the face's turn doesn't become 20 turns correct, you know, strung together. Not like some weird magic combo with time stop or something. But what if your face still has a way of treading over things, even when you're doing that? Cause you know, I've, I've, there's sometimes face players like, okay, it's like when they're not the active one, they're cutting jokes, they're metagaming, they're giving advice from the outside. And even though they're not the active player, they're still not shutting up. What do you do about that? Uh, that's something that, I mean, really, this is really super case to case basis. Hmm. Uh, but I think that should be ideally held if it's truly a problem handled outside of game directly, uh, DM and the player so that they, that person who probably doesn't see it in any negative way, they think they're having fun. Uh, they're trying to, you know, add fun to the game and you're like, could you shut your fucking pie hole, please? Like you're making, <laughs> but I'd probably put it in then in a conversation outside the game nicer than that. So they don't feel called out in front of the crew. I will say, um, I feel like I am absolutely sometimes that player in some of the games where if I'm not actively talking in my character, I will be cracking a joke or something. I de- and there are times where I, I'm like, kind of like, I'm like the witness, like I'm seeing myself from outside myself and going like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, why are you s- just stop talking? So uh, it does happen. Hopefully it's not, uh, disruptive in games and if it is i hope i hear from about it um what i will say is that is a great point though that we talked about earlier about calling on them specifically and a way to do that especially if there's someone in the in the party that is the face a phineas uh roderick something like that a person who their whole character build is i'm the talker i'm the one who's charming i'm the one who's diplomatic i can get us into places i can negotiate is to literally almost have the NPC or the monster or whatever, ignore them. And one way you can do this is have something from the other characters' backstories be a thing, like Thorin was talking about when he did with the king, something in their backstory that specifically this person is interested in. So they're not going to be, they don't care about the pretty boy that's talking to them. They care about what is this, this, dark this dusk elf doing with the party here like in our in the strad group for instance you know like that's an easy one right if i wanted to call on shannon the easiest way is i talk about dusk elves and i say whoa what's you know what's going on here or talk to the knight or whatever it might be but specifically because that's going to do two things one it's going to call on them two it's going to bring some of their backstory in and generally speaking i think players react well to that because now they have investment in the story they've helped to craft something in the world that is the world is now reacting to and it's not just on a piece of paper they sent the dm you know uh but it has to do with what's actually happening in that world or you can just pull the old stacker pentecost from uh pacific grim major Salba's character and go you shut up you keep talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
the Idris Elba character. Yeah. Yeah, Shaka Pentecost. He, he, you, shut he, up. You keep talking. Yeah, because he had the two scientists, the one of which was always talking to, talking over the other one. He's like, you, shut up. You, keep talking. That's kind of what it. you're trying to find a way to do more politically, right? Oh, that is a – look, you can hide that under the – if you get a good NPC, a real surly motherfucker, you could totally pull one of those and have it go over kind of well, but maybe get the point across too. Who knows? He's uh, a pretty good character. I mean – that was it, true, yeah. It's a good line. It's a good line. I would say the other thing, I feel like once you kind of go into this kind of thing too, you can more openly ask over the table, just, you know, uh, you know, you know, I'll get to your character in a second. This is, this is so-and-so's turn. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is, you know, look, look, you know, do me a favor and, and kind of chill out for a minute. Like, let, let's, let's, let's resolve this and I'll get back to your, I'll get back to your character in a minute, which I actually did in some cases in the Woodstock Wanderers game. It wasn't a, a big deal kind of thing, but there were times it was like, okay, great. That's what you're going to do. We're going to come back to that. We're moving on to you now. And it's just kind of, you know, making clear that we are breaking off what you're doing. We're shifting camera, new, shifting the camera, new scene here. I'm going to come back to you and you got to make sure you come back to them. Cause if you don't come back to someone you told you would come back to, that becomes a problem. Mm. But doing that and getting, and then kind of keeping that control that way, I think does help with that. And once you're in that kind of mode, you can more realistically say to them, hey, look, this just isn't your turn. You know, come you know, give me a minute. We'll, we'll talk to you. Just, you know, let the other players enjoy the game. You can lean a little more on that, you know? Very Game of Thrones-esque, you know, they would have all of these point of view characters. So you would constantly be shifting scenes it's kind of like that. Okay, cool. Let's put a pin on that. We'll come back to it now. This scene. Boom. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. All right. We've been going on for a little bit now, so why don't we get to some final thoughts on how do you handle, so let's say, an over-talkative, dominating face character and make sure your other your other PCs can get their award in edgewise. Shut the fuck up! You could lead off with that. That is not off the table entirely. <laughs> or you can give other players knowledge that helps them in these situations or perhaps make their abilities, character, makeup, whatever it is that makes them more likely to be drawn or have advantages this other character will not. This is a team effort. Even if this character could sell a two-humped camel, a third-humped camel, there is the party dynamic which makes them stronger and everybody needs to be involved in this. I, I am actually a fan of using as many players in any given scene as possible, with exceptions, just as a rule, a general rule, splitting the players up can lead to, at some times, some good character development, but other times you've got six, seven other players watching ten individual cutscenes that then they have to now go, nope, I did not see my, my cleric kill that bum in the alley. Nope. I am swear I am not going to influence my interactions with them for the next seven games. To be fair, to be fair, there is something to be said for the suspense of letting the party know the cleric killed that player, even if their characters don't know it yet. <laughs> there is are they going to say anything? <laughs> <laughs> Different game now. Sometimes you can play the metagame too. And I like to handle some things with email and text. If they want to do flavor, character resolving issues, questions about the world, things like that, that allows them all to function together, but still allowing them to some time separately. Excellent points, Tony. I I think you, you created the final thoughts for all of us there. I really do. I think the rest of us should just shut the fuck up at this point. Yeah. No, those are all good points. Uh, one point you made there was great, is that you can definitely build encounters within your games that are going to showcase other players' skills or abilities or their strengths more. Uh, that's easily a way that you can start to bring them into it. 
uh, actively calling on people. Uh, as Thorne was just saying earlier, do the cutscene. Stop the person. Cool. Okay. We're going to put a pin in that for one second. What are you doing or what are you saying? Because, again, not everyone is going to necessarily, in a role play situation, want to talk about things. They are going to want to do action-oriented role play. They're not going to want to talk molecularly to the Duke. They're going to want to do something. So call on them and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? All three of us have started to play with that in the games in different ways, whether, whether it's an initiative tracker, whether it's I'm going left to right on my Zoom window. Uh, and generally speaking, I found that it's turned out quite well because everybody at least gets some screen time with that. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, good thoughts. Uh, and I don't, you know, me and Tony have a difference of opinion here, but I would say both of these ways of going about it are fine. I've seen them both work really well. So Tony's approach of giving the player that extra attention, maybe outside the game, letting them have letting them have secrets essentially with the DM can certainly make a player who isn't getting the face time in the game they want, can make them feel more part of the game and give them more of that face time. It's a good way to go. I have my reasons for not doing it. We went over them already. I'm not going to rehash them here two different philosophies of running the game. And you know, one of our big points in this whole series has been different ways of going about things can both work. So long as you know, you're, you're reaching the goal you want. So for me, the big thing is number one, be conscious of getting, letting everyone get some, some talking time and get, get some words in edgewise. And certainly there's times in Woodstock Wanderers where I haven't had that, where we have had situations where it's come back to me that, Hey, you know, not everyone's getting to talk. So I've had to adjust to that. And specifically, the adjustments I've made have been much more about trying to, you know, basically exercising some control over who's getting the screen time and breaking it up more with harder boundaries, whether that is in the conversation. OK, the NPC talks to you specifically about something or I give everyone a little, you know, I let everyone go through and tell me, OK, well, you're going to have some free time. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Then go down the line and resolve each of those with them in vignettes that you try to keep short. The danger is it can get too long. The danger is there can be some metagame issues. You know, you get some pros and cons. You got to trade off there. It seems to work well for us. And I would also say what I just said in response to Tony's point is also part of it. Sometimes when the players are aware something's going on, but their characters aren't, you do get a little more mystery investment. You do get a little more what's going on over there. You know, for instance, the other players just recently saw what the power boons are for Gadanathwa. That Ojin is playing for. They saw them, so I just kind of put them over to her in open chat. But now they can all see that there is a significant power boost, right? So sometimes getting a glimpse behind the scenes can create more interest from the other players as well. So I agree it, with that, Thor, because it's I like I said earlier, we're also audience members of the story yeah. that we're creating. And I think we have to play a little into that, like enjoy being the audience going, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I guess that's, that's, that's a little bit, you know, like I said, you can play the metagame, too. You know, what I'm doing, what you're doing when you do that is you're using the you're using the metagame to your advantage. You do need to have players who can separate the character enough that they don't turn around and kill the person with for not for things they don't know about. Yeah, like you, don't have the party, you don't want to have the interparty conflict go on over things they don't actually know about. Right, Tony? Yeah, you know, um oh, God. Yeah, no, you, you it really depends. I, I do see a lot of good in what you're saying. If you have players who can't keep their shit together. Like I did like one sus thing one yeah. time, and I had the I had the freaking brothers Grimm following me around for the lat next seventeen levels. So my only retaliation was to go and do shady looking shit just to screw with them. That I was actually up to absolutely nothing. <laughs> 
And wasn't that the character that wound up serving Vecna? Uh, well, that wasn't a secret since I had the Eye of Vecna. That's and true. They That's they true. knew about that, and the actual real protagonist, the real antagonist of that game was Cthulhu. So Vecna was like, hey, I can help out here, you know. And you know, Vecna's like, well, I'll eat everybody. Like The was, enemy of my enemy. Right? Oh, it was a very, very very, very convoluted power balance kind of game. Yeah, different. Vecna playing you against Cthulhu, against other outer gods and other things. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a good game. But that's what you get by letting people look a little bit behind the scenes. So I wouldn't, I don't worry too much about it. Tony's point, though, that it can go off the rails is, is important. You got to make sure your players aren't making decisions based on things their characters don't know. That's the tricky thing. Mm. But otherwise, you know, I think that's really it. You don't want to curtail the face's enthusiasm. You don't want to come down as a heavy saying, you know, as much as we joke about shut the fuck up, you don't really want to do that. You know, telling them to shut the fuck up is going to make them have a little worse time in the game. Also, I'll say openly in Woodstock Wanderers, I have heard that there's times when, like, I've kind of gotten a little sharp with players that other players don't like. Not that they don't like it, that they don't think it was deserved, but it makes them feel awkward. So you got to be careful with that. You know, you got to you got to try to handle things with a little more little more subtlety as far as getting one person to stop talking and giving another person a chance to talk. And the best way to do that is to just basically be a DM and be in control. That is. Mm. All right, guys, it's a good time talking about it. And I don't think any one of us dominated that conversation too much. <laughs> That's exciting. I think I kept myself to a reasonable 25 minutes of airtime. <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining me on this one. Absolutely. That's and thank you all for listening from home to another episode of three wise DMS. We really appreciate all the support you've shown us. If you like this episode, uh, if you, it would really help us if you were to give it a five-star rating in your podcast player, tell your friends, share it on social media, all that stuff, all that stuff really helps us grow. And we appreciate all of it. Again, I mentioned it before, but if you want to send us a question, there's a lot of ways to do it on our website, through email, on social media. We love answering reader questions. So anything you want to hear us talk about, please send it in. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on three wise DMS. 